0: Good afternoon. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is 88.3. My name is Ashley David, and you're tuned in to The Living Writers Show. My guest today is Jonathan Franzen, author of three novels, The 27th City, Strong Motion, and most recently, The Corrections. He's also the author of the book of essays, How to Be Alone. The recipient of numerous honors and awards, including the National Book Award for his most recent novel, The Corrections, and a frequent contributor to The New Yorker. We are thrilled to have you. Thanks for coming down.
1: Yes, I'm a living writer. (laughs) I'm happy to be here.
2: (laughs)
0: Excellent. I tried to do a dead writer's show on El Dia de los Muertos, and uh, it was just rough. (laughs) Live radio with the dead writers doesn't work. So um, you're in town and uh, you're at the University of Michigan. You gave a reading on Monday night, and are giving a reading or a lecture, I guess it is. On, on it's really a reading. You're giving yeah, a reading. The
1: idea of a lecture, I, I, I get cold chills when I think of actually having to do a lecture. So no, I'm just reading again. But this time I'm reading nonfiction. Nonfiction. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to ask you to start out the show as we usually do with a reading, but of your fiction from your most recent book, The Corrections, if you will.
1: Do I need to uh, set the scene in any way or can I just start speaking?
0: How would you like to set the scene a little bit?
1: Oh, I could say it's a conversation between uh, a somewhat obstreperous son and a uh, depressive old father. Uh who um, disagree about almost everything. And I think they've been uh, uh, they've been talking about, oh, the upcoming Christmas. And the first speaker is Gary, and you'll be able to identify him, I hope, by the somewhat more heated, uh, strident tone of voice that I use for him and the more grumbly, depressive voice of the father will, I hope, identify him. I have to go <clears throat> first, and now I'm ready. "'Are you happy with your life?' Gary said, waiting for a left-turn arrow. "'Can you say you're ever happy?' "'Gary, I have an infliction. A lot of people have afflictions. "'If that's your excuse, fine. If you want to feel sorry for yourself, fine. "'But why drag Mom down?' "'Well, you'll be leaving tomorrow.' "'Meaning what?' Gary said. "'That you'll sit in your chair and Mom will cook and clean for you?' "'There are things in life that simply have to be endured.' "'Why bother staying alive if that's your attitude?' What do you have to look forward to? I ask myself that question every day. Well, and what's your answer, Gary said. What's your answer? What do you think I should look forward to? Travel. I've traveled enough. I spent 30 years traveling. Time with family? Time with people you love? No comment. What do you mean, no comment? Just that. No comment. You're still sore about Christmas, You may interpret it however you like. If you're sore about Christmas, you might have the consideration to say so, no comment. Instead of insinuating, We should have come two days later and left two days earlier, Alfred said. That's all I have to say on the topic of Christmas. We should have stayed 48 hours. It's because you're depressed, Dad. You are clinically depressed, and so are you. And the responsible thing would be to get some treatment. Did you hear me? I said, so are you. What are you talking about? figure it out dad really no (laughs) what are you talking about i'm not the one who sits in a chair all day and sleeps underneath you are alfred pronounced that's simply false one day you will see i will not gary said my life is on a fundamentally different basis than yours mark my words i look at your marriage i see what i see someday you'll see it too that's empty talk and you know it you're just pissed off with me and you have no way to deal with it I've told you I don't want to discuss this, and I have no respect for that. Well, there are things in your life that I have no respect for either. It shouldn't have hurt to hear that Alfred, who was wrong about almost everything, did not respect things in Gary's life, and yet it did hurt.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, in an interview in Bomb Magazine with um, your friend Donald Antrim, you said something like, I feel like the novelist's vision is engaged in a turf war with the scientific biological medical account. Um, there's depression that runs through, is a theme that runs through um, the corrections. And um, and I'm wondering if this sort of assertion you made in the interview with Antrim has anything to do with some of the themes that are running through the book. If, in fact, you're worried about... Um, this turf war and sort of having it out in the context of fiction with depression?
1: Yeah, one of the frustrating things um, about letting a book go out into the world is that you have to let people read it they w- the way they want to read it. Um, and it, I thought in this uh, long section about Gary, who we just heard speaking, that I was having some fun with the notion of depression. Uh, following the way it's often used nowadays in relationships, where one person accuses the other of having a mental illness, "You're depressed." No, you're depressed, and you resist admitting that you're depressed uh, because that will be a victory for the other person. Um, and if the other person's not being very responsible about it, maybe you're maybe you are depressed, maybe you're not depressed. Anyway, it it, it um it's not at all clear that Gary is depressed, to me. He exhibits certain symptoms that he worries about morbidly. Um, at the same time, he's actually functioning rather well, and it could be simply that he's under an enormous amount of stress for really pretty reasonable uh, reasons in his life, and that, he, uh, that this whole notion of depression has been introduced in a kind of... Um, Warlike way by his wife and by his father. Um, so, I, what I was thinking when I was writing it was let's just complicate this. Um, there, there's this sort of incredibly vulgar notion uh, with proponents like Peter Kramer and Andrew Solomon that you're either depressed or you're not. And if you are, that's the end of the discussion. Medicate, medicate, medicate obviously if you are massively depressed if you are if you are disabled by depression uh, you should get some help and 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 yet for most of us it's a much grayer area um and when you come in with this 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 vulgar materialist view of it you just you you wipe out whole fields of ambiguity and potential interesting conversation um so that's a long answer to the question, although it's a shorter answer than it could have been.
0: <laughs> we'll just keep on going. Well, um, it's, a, it's a perfectly appropriately sized answer. How's that?
1: Actually, <laughs> Ashley started out by showing you the signals for that's enough. Um, <laughs> that's enough. Right now, stop.
0: And I didn't give any of those signals just now. We, he, I let him run as much as he wanted to.
1: I was looking over expectantly, though, sort of anticipating, anticipating. one of those signals.
0: No, no, no. You're doing just fine. Um, it's interesting to me this this notion of flattening, and and that's why I asked you the question. Um, the the world of the novel and the 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 creative act of writing one um, or writing sort of generally is is to open things up. and um, even in academic writing, I teach my freshmen nuance, 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 um, and I find that they come back to me with nuance, but x plus y equals z. Yeah. And. Um, it seems to me that potentially this kind of Medicaid, medicate, medicate—it it is clinical depression is sort of symptomatic of this moment where um, in this country we have a, a really important need for X plus Y to equal Z or equal something very concrete and not complicated and nuanced. And um, that's very much different from what you do in your work. It's all about finding ways to complicate and not oversimplify not flatten um is that a struggle
1: um no i i i feel like i i'm helplessly vulnerable to the complicatedness of the world and I want to inflict the discomfort I feel over that on other people and if I can package it in uh, entertaining narratives then I stand a better chance of of inflicting my discomfort on people who actually that's the way I used to think of it um back when uh, you were angry before back when I was angry yes. <laughs> before you learned and, how to be alone <laughs> yes um uh, there is some impulse like that at work always but um really what i should say is that i've i i don't i don't think novels are written for people who um who need the news in them i think novels are written for people who uh who feel alone with the way they feel about the world and um i'm just writing down the way things appear to me and I appreciate as a reader when someone takes the trouble to notice that things are complicated and to notice the contradictions uh, that we all walk around with all the time. Um, Because when I'm watching TV, when I'm watching CNN, when I'm uh, listening to most radio, when I'm reading most publications, um, I, I feel incredibly alone with how frustrated i am by the oversimplifications and so you know a writer like joan didion will do an essay and it's like thank you thank you for making for for making me feel like there are at least two of us (laughs) who look at the world this way um yeah that's the new the new kinder version of inflict my discomfort on a comfortable world
0: (laughs) Do you think the world really is that comfortable? I mean, obviously, you know, if if Didion can write, and and at least when you, I actually also read Didion and go, thank goodness, there's, there's someone else. Um, is, do you think that the world really is that comfortable, or do is the Medicaid, 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 or watch TV, watch TV, watch TV? Um,
1: well, this gets at I think what uh, one of the the dirty secrets of reading and writing, which is that. Uh, to paraphrase Flannery O'Connor, people without hope don't read fiction. Uh, people without hope don't uh, want to have an experience of any kind, and reading a novel is a way of having an experience. So I think it actually, as the, the dirty secret is that the people, you have to be sort of okay to write or read an interesting book um It is a marker of privilege, and those people who who accuse literature of being an elitist pursuit um, are right in a way um if you have a really really lousy life you 're not going to want to come home and read Kafka <laughs> you know my god so much. my god <laughs> yeah. um you know the, the, the an an exception to that are people in prison. Um, who are an interesting exception, who I hear from quite a bit um, via reader mail they 're an interesting exception both uh, class wise because there are a lot of people who came to reading not at all uh, who are in prison who came to reading not at all through um, their upbringing and and the opportunist opportunities they had as children but only as adults and it's this kind of revelation but of course they also have a lot of time um and 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 a and a, and a boring existence uh, but generally speaking it is um you know I feel like I have the luxury of being uncomfortable and I can open myself up to those to those to to the variety of answers uh, to the questions one might pose in a way that if I had a harder life, I don't think I would be able to.
0: But what about, um, I mean, there are loads of upper middle class folks out there, middle class folks out there who um, prefer not to read um, and, and have the luxury of...
1: One of the things I like about about fiction and about literature in general is that uh, it doesn't correlate particularly well with socioeconomic status it's a It's a different kind of privilege. Um, there are plenty of people who are you know if you're trapped trying to make your mortgage and your payments on the boat and uh, make partner and all of that. You don't have room for it in the same way that, uh, you know, a grad student who might not, not, not have any money and might not come from a particularly privileged background nonetheless has a certain kind of leisure and has a certain kind of opportunity to engage questions that a person in more desperate circumstances, and it's strange to call someone making $200,000 a year desperate, but the country is full of them, yeah. um, might have.
0: Well, and desperation is a personal experience, if not a an objectively sort exactly.
1: of… Exactly. And this is all about, right. So it's a weird kind of privilege and it's a weird kind of elite uh, that hangs around at crummy used bookstores buying tattered 99 cent paperbacks. Uh, It's the kind of elite I'd want to belong to.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN FM 88.3. My name is Ashley David and my guest today is Jonathan Franzen. We're back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM. My guest today is Jonathan Franzen. We're talking about, well, we started out talking a little bit about his book, The Corrections, which is the most recent novel. And we've sort of gone from there to um, reading and privilege and that sort of thing. I wonder if, from reading and privilege, we could talk about taste and complacency. <laughs>
1: taste and complacency. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I worry about the level of, abstra- of abstraction we're 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 sending out at drive hour, but um, sure. It's yeah.
0: a very educated populace we're talking to.
1: <laughs> if we haven't lost you already, yes, we're you're still, still there. I'm still here. I'm still living, and um, uh, still talking to Ashley. Um, taste complacency.
2: Complacency.
0: Yeah. Um, What I'm getting at, um, I've been reading a a bit lately about um, some of the founding ideals of this country and and the the notion that we need to educate a citizenry um, to create this great nation as some of the rhetoric of our early um, lit Mm -hmm. public discourse. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems that we've, done a pretty good job of educating the populace overall. We have a fairly highly educated populace relative to other countries around the world, if you will, if you go sort of all the way through.
1: And uh, yeah, we're about twenty-one on the list. We're about twenty-one on the list, of, and there are, well, you can call about one hundred eighty nations. So uh, yeah, so we're, we're not. We're not. Let's see if you get rid of Western Europe, we're doing really well.
0: Well, yeah, there are there are all kinds of qualifications, but I'm trying not to be in that little angry space at the moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, we're doing a great job. People are are getting great educations here. Well, it just, just just bear grant, with me yes. for
0: for this a second, and then we'll tear it all apart. Um because what I would like to do is tear it all apart. Um, despite the fact that we have this sort of privilege of education here and we have this founding ideal of education, um, we seem to have educated ourselves into um, a place that is, well, as long as I can get a better job and live the life of my parents or the life better than my parents and own the things I'd like to do, I, I own the things I'd like to own, that I don't really care about it beyond that. Um, so the upper middle class 20, 200K um, person, you you know
2: the example desperate, the desperate 200K
0: exactly the desperate wealthy man with his yacht and his mortgage payments um, has sort of put himself there um, and and worked the spaces of uh, out of his life the leisure out of his life in a sense um, and I wondered what, what you, whether you think that that's a an inevitable move in in this democracy that is founded on both social and political democratic ideals and yet seems to be more operating on capitalist ideals at the moment?
1: Well, I think the jury is still out on the free market system. Um, I don't think it's any accident that... I mean, Western Europe has nothing but problems. Uh, They do... Those countries do have... I think a healthy skepticism about the free market and um, are a little bit better in my view at um, tempering some of the excesses. If you, if you really, if you reduce a country to the pursuit of gratification, the pursuit of the means to gratify yourself, and that is the, 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 the basis of your economic system it 's going to last only a generation or two, and I sort of feel as if our technological prowess our economic advantages were sort of like the highways that the Romans built, and then you know they were useful to the barbarians for a couple of decades to ride into Rome and sack it, um, but without the without the Um, collective will to maintain that system and without the, uh, the structures to do that, then the whole thing will, won't last long. Um, One hears a lot about uh, the export of skill jobs uh, to South Asia. um, And particularly when it comes to science and technology, which is after all at the heart of our current prosperity, um, that kind of training and education is per, were particularly falling behind in. Um, at the same time, you know, we could cut what we have in half, and it would still be a not a bad life compared to most lives anywhere else. Um, and I would say, in the meantime, that it's 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 weird to find myself criticizing the U.S. at all, because when I'm in Western Europe, I pine for home. The writing, the writing is so much better here. The TV is so much better here. People are funnier, Um, and the 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 country is so much more diverse, and uh, you can be surprised so much more easily here because it's just it's an insane place, and insane is one of my my favorite words. To uh, it's a word I use almost exclusively as a compliment. Um, in my own writing, I feel like when I can say, God, this is insane, um, I'm getting somewhere and that's, so I, I, it, it's possible to worry about what's going to become of the country. Um, at the same time, I, there's no place I'd rather live, but that's, that's a hopelessly abstract conclusion to have come to. Uh, how does that connect with taste?
0: Well, I was wondering if instead of cultivating a taste that's sort of um high art and education and um, a discourse that is more like western europe um we we are rather according a taste that that it is characterized by a low culture that is does not include things like that includes things like consumption i mean it's sort of um the more I consume that, that, that is an aesthetic, if you will, and not just, um,
1: you know, I don't, I am not particularly concerned about that myself because again, it's a huge country. And even if it's a tiny percentage of people who care about the kind of cultural products I enjoy, um, the, the gross numbers are still pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can get 1% of the country reading you, you've got 3 million readers. (laughs) Um, so, uh, in terms of the critical mass for preserving certain modes of cultural expression, I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned at all. I, I think, um, I think literacy is a worry though. Um, if you don't know how to write, if you don't know how to organize your thoughts, you are not going to be able to think very well. Um, Music is delicious, um, but who was it? Some angry, uh, some angry young. I think rock and roller um, had this wonderful outburst some years ago which I should have clipped and written down so I could properly credit him but he was saying you know the, the, I hate music and the reason I hate music is when I see somebody wearing headphones there's no way they can be thinking about what you know the state of the world and how to be a responsible citizen um so those that's what I mean that those I think literacy the ability to express and to comprehend complex or reasonably complex thought, that's sort of the the, the Roman highway. Um, And things will float around, float along for a while once that no longer becomes uh, anything like a universal um, talent set. But uh, I think we're in trouble when it becomes something that only a a really well-educated elite still has.
0: And the prison population, because they're reading
1: yeah <laughs>
0: um, it's it, it's you mentioned responsibility, and that sort of gets at the core of what I was interested in 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 the first question about taste and complacency, <laughs> the first non question, the first statement of the words taste and complacency um, and it i i don't see a lot of um, interest frankly in um responsibility um, there's sort of, i've I experience a kind of adolescent um, vibe sometimes uh, um, out in the world here in the states
1: yeah for whom would it be cool to be a, an adult it's sort of like being a member of the bourgeoisie in Europe I mean who wants to say hold up their hand and say yeah i'm I'm bourgeois you know yeah I'm a grown up um, and it's become sort of my mission in life to try to actually feel like an adult. Um,
0: what does what that entailed?
1: Um, actually, I had a good dose of it last weekend. Um, my One of my nephews, most of my nephews are on the West Coast, but one of them came east to go to college, uh, came and stayed with us for three or four days in New York, and um you know, I I had no right to tell him what time to come home. Really, I guess I could have, but I just I was suddenly plunged to see him and his friends kind of off at one end of the room conversing and excluding me. It's like, well, how could you be excluding me? I, I'm, I'm an adolescent too. I I should be part of this whispered conversation. What do you what do you think? I mean, uh, but of course, you know, to him I'm I'm a 46 year old, like you know, uh, so, and I have to say I kind of liked that.
0: You liked the 46 year old being excluded parts? I or? did actually sort of. Yeah.
1: Yes, I thought I was ready for that. But I mean, I don't have kids, so it's um I think I would have had some of these experiences far sooner if I did.
0: When you were a kid, um if I can Take the, your nonfiction persona and, and apply it to your real life. When you were a kid, you were intellectually precocious and enjoyed the company of adults. Um, is there a switch or, or a coming into that skin of you've always been forty-six, only now you really are? Or, um, I mean, you also in the in a fairly recent um, New Yorker piece called "The Retreat Fellowship, A Youth Minister, and Me." um the 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 piece ends with belonging you 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 make it into the inner circle of this particular group and that's a really cool thing but at an earlier point in the piece you said that you were a lot more articulate than you were m- mature did you then spend the time in the company of older folks and just wanting or was this articulateness, which I lack, the articulateness that I I'm, lack. I just so <laughs>
1: in, enjoy the fact that you're the one struggling here and not, not me, because it's it, it seemed likely to be the other way around.
0: Oh, no, no, no. My job is to make you feel better. <laughs> uh, um, no, but, but is it, um, what, was that initial impulse, while well, I'm a teenager too, um, in any way related to being an actual teenager when you were and being an adult? I mean, like that double experience, if... Help me out here. Were you having a double experience there of being a teenager and being a, t- a 46-year-old um, in a way that you were having an experience when you were a teenager of being a teenager and feeling like a 46-year-old?
1: Um, once I was about 15, I hated adolescence, and I hated being young. I wanted to have the, 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 the full capacities of a grown-up there. I was... In in doing some of these pieces I've been writing for the New Yorker and that are part of a, a book I'm supposed to deliver in a month, um, I've been looking at my very oldest journals and there are these sort of heartbreaking sentences in them like um, I am hampered by a seeming lack of maturity. Um, so I was I was a kid who who was hungry for an adult world and I think some of the, the, the disappointment I f- have felt, some of the social rage I have felt has been related to my arriving finally in adulthood and people don't respect being an adult anymore. It used to be a really neat thing. There, w- I mean, who would want to be a kid when you could be an adult? Adults got to do all these great things and, and kids were sort of, you know, puerile. Um, and now you, you have people who are trying to act like teenagers and I, f- I feel like th- there was a bait and switch here somehow, <laughs> You've you You've know? been duped. Yeah, kind of.
0: Well, on that, it's the top of the hour. And so we're going to take a short break. You're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor 88.3. My name is Ashley David. This is the Living Writers Show. And my guest today is Jonathan Franzen. We'll be right back. listening to The Living Writers Show on WCVN-FM, Ann Arbor, we were just talking about all the teeny bopper music. Jonathan Franson is my guest today. Tell us about the teeny bopper music, the appeal. We were talking about music earlier and how um, people can't possibly be... um,
1: Well, you know, if you grow up listening to Johnny Cash, you're kind of a Johnny Cash fan for life. And if you grow up listening to Frank, you know, you're a Sinatra fan for life. Um, So I came of age with at a great time um when you know you would go out and buy new the vinyl of of elvis costello and the clash and the talking heads um the there was only one significant development after that in popular music uh which was rap you know that's so i and i feel very fortunate to have it it was a time of great ferment and those guys really taught me how to live in some significant way um but unfortunately i'm saddled with these tastes and even though i i will occasionally find a piece of classical music that i can become really attached to like um petrushka i I can listen to over and over and over and a few other things like that mostly i just have these really these really teeny bopper tastes and um you know want to hear what what all the 19 year olds are listening to and it's it's um <laughs> um the joke is on me
0: well we were talking about before the break about um this folks don't want to be grown-ups anymore and um help me out here cuz i'm hopeless um who is the lead singer of sonic youth Thurston Thirst, uh, Moore. Thurston Moore. There we go. Um, he's sort of the quintessential. I'm never growing up. No, I'm not. Right. Um, and uh, we're gonna end the show today with a little Sonic Youth. Good. Um, do you think that that w- why what where's this where was the bait and switch what what happened?
1: Well, um, I think a lot of things are driven. A lot more is driven by. Uh, by market forces than t v cultural commentators like to admit um, you know we hear about the sixties and you know the overthrow of of the old the old traditions and you know the youth movement and all of that um, but really it 's much much better to sell to kids than it is to sell to grown ups because grown ups actually have uh, they're fixed in their tastes. They're not as open to new products. They actually tend to be more critical. They tend to uh, be less susceptible to needing to see the new movie this weekend. They can say, "Well, I'll wait in seven weeks. I'll go see it." Um, whereas all the all the kids uh, at the junior high have to talk about it on Monday. And if you haven't seen it, you're ostracized. Um, so there's a sort of uh, a path of least resistance has been followed uh, by the market by advertising um by the, the the creators of products and as a result uh what passes for a culture a commercial culture um, it has this huge stamp this kind of rock and roll stamp um even though it's quite grotesque now that to see you know the gray beard going rock and roll you know it's like ugh, spare me couldn't you like say schubert <laughs> Um, because everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be the rebel, um, and nobody wants to be the rebelled against, and it doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. Not everyone can be the rebel. That's one of the big lies of advertising. It's, it's the big lie of rock and roll as a, as a philosophy, not as a, you know, something to listen to when you're taking a long car drive, but as a, as a, as a kind of mode of existence, it's a just, it's a big lie. Not everyone can be the rebel. Um, and, and it's quite thankless to, you know, stand up and say, okay, rebel against me. Um, but I, 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 I have come to feel like such a freak in so many ways as a writer and as a person who cares about books. I feel like, well, in for a nickel in for a buck here, I'll, I'm, I'll just try to you know, admit to certain uncoolnesses and go ahead and rebel against me if you want, um, as a favor to you. Um, just sort of embrace the weirdness of, of not fitting in. I never really fit in that well anyway. And that, the thing you cited at the end of the the essay, the retreat, you know, that's a, that's a short-lived feeling of belonging. That's a, that's a 10th that's a grader feeling happy, um, but you can imagine how long that lasted.
0: Yeah, about less time than it took to write that sentence, I'd say. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, oh, I've just lost my train of thought.
1: That's okay. I, I, um, I feel like I've been free associating anyway. Um, so
0: let's just talk about birds for the rest of the show.
1: Birds, yes.
0: You have a particular special place in your heart for birds.
1: Lately I've 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 developed a bit of a bird problem. Yes. I've started uh looking at birds. Reminds me of um uh here's another uncool cultural reference. Um you have to be a certain age to to know that Peanuts, the cartoon strip, was actually phenomenally good for about 15 or 20 years, and in its good phase, before it became uh, a vapid, bad daily strip in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, there was a great sequence where um, Linus starts patting birds on the head, and uh, someone finally goes to his... <laughs> his sister, Lucy, and says, you know, your little brother pats birds on the head. And she's like, ah! It's like there could be no worse thing to say to her than your little brother pats birds on the head.
0: Because it was uncool?
1: Oh, just, just like, what a, what a, what a eccentric dweeb you have for a brother. Uh, would, now,
0: were these all birds or ducks? Um, were, would, would he tame wild birds? What?
1: No, it's just, I mean, they were. Um, Schultz only really drew a kind of generic bird. Um, uh, I mean, he, he had this actually not very funny cartoon bird and some of that cartoon bird's pals. But um, uh, in, in, whenever he needed to draw a wild, unspeaking bird, it was sort of a bluebird-like thing that stood on the ground. Um, and Linus was petting them. Saying pat, on the pat, ground. pat, pat. Yeah, pat, pat. pat, pat. pat. Um, so, yes. Uh, d- um, actually, another another Linus referent. Uh, he and Charlie Brown are running for president and vice president of their school, uh, their school class. And they have it sewn up. They've got the thing wrapped up. The polls show them leading. And for his last speech, Linus decides to talk about the Great Pumpkin. I'd like to say a few words about the Great Pumpkin. And... You know, everyone just clutches their head because you've just blown it. We actually thought you might be good, and now you're talking about the great pumpkin. That's how I feel talking about birds, even though they are great. Um, and what what else can I say about them, Ashley?
0: Well, what I was going to ask you about them was... Um... You have been, you're heading off to go bird watching while you're in town. Is that the case?
1: I might go over to uh, Belleville where there's said to be a reservoir with some gulls on it uh, with Macklin Smith, who's in the English department here, and a really uh, outstanding birder.
0: And is it the seeing of birds that you haven't seen before that's the object? Well, I guess what I'm after is what's the object of birdwatching? What's the object of birdwatching? And, the and, and how, of bird did it, watching? how did it catch you?
1: Oh, what's well, like saying what's the object of of a good meal, you know?
0: But I mean, there's a difference between a good meal and a Sony PlayStation, and for some, a good meal is attractive, and for others, a Sony PlayStation is. And um, there must have been some trigger that got you into birds, or was it Linus?
1: No, no, it was not, and I had nothing to do with that. Um, I I I'm a bit at a loss because I just published about thirteen thousand words answering this question and and trying to um, compress it stumblingly into uh, a sentence uttered with increasing self-consciousness in this radio studio is a little tricky um uh they're really beautiful and they're really wild um they fly um they're dinosaurs basically they're what the dinosaurs decided to do they, they they turned into these feathered things. Do we have do we have one minute? I can read my paragraph about why birds are so cool. Let's here. do it. Um, because God knows I'm not going to say it as well. Uh, changing my character, I'm just flipping through the pages here. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. We go past my mother's While death. Well,
0: Jonathan is flipping through the pages to get past I his don't. mother's death to find the paragraph. Let me tell you that he will be reading nonfiction tomorrow night, Thursday night, at the Rackham amphitheater at 5 p.m. Now, paragraph?
1: He might even be reading some of this very essay. Birds were what became of dinosaurs. Those mountains of flesh whose petrified bones were on display at the Museum of Natural History had done some brilliant retooling over the ages and could now be found living in the form of orioles in the sycamores across the street. As solution to the problem of earthly existence, the dinosaurs had been pretty great. But blue-headed vireos and yellow warblers and white-throated sparrows, feather-light, hollow-boned, full of song, were even greater. Birds were like dinosaurs' better selves. They had short lives and long summers. We all should be so lucky as to leave behind such airs.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a good way to end the show. It's been a real pleasure to have you on today. Um, You've been tuned into the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. My guest today has been Jonathan Franzen. We've been talking about oh, just about anything. <laughs> and um, next week, my guest will be John McCain. That would be the Senator John McCain. John McCain. He writes some books. And um, so please tune in next week as well. The Living Writers Show is every Wednesday from 4:30 to 5:15. And stay tuned to WCBN. The sports report is next. Thank you to our engineer, Chaz Barrett, for doing such a great job. And thank you to my guest, Jonathan Franzen, for stopping by today.
1: My great pleasure.
0: We'll be back next week.